take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. As you're doing so, can I make one more quick, quick announcement? Uh, and I failed to mention this earlier with our Thanksgiving Sunday service. Uh, in the afternoon, we're going to be having our meal, and then immediately following the meal, we're going to be having an early afternoon service. We won't be having a 4 o'clock service that day. In all likelihood, we'll probably uh, be done with our service before then. Uh, but during that 4 o'clock service, as we have done for many years, we're going to be taking uh, testimonies and praise reports of blessings uh, throughout the year, a bit of a, of a Thanksgiving-type service as we just worship the Lord and praise Him for what He's done, as well as part of that service, I'd love to get folks involved in some special music uh, that day. If you, would, if you would be interested in helping uh, in that way, maybe your family or maybe a, uh, a couple of folks or trio or a group together would like to get a song together for that afternoon, uh, would you please see Brother Colton about that? And uh, just to give you a heads up, he's probably going to be approaching many of you and ask you if you'd be willing to be a part of the special music program here. And uh, we're going to be trying to, to schedule and get many folks involved that could participate that way. So be aware of that. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. I want to talk to you this morning about a pattern. A pattern of good works. A pattern of good works. Verse 1, it says, But speak the things which thou... Uh, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober. Now, Brother Maud, how old do you reckon that is, aged? <laughs> he said he doesn't want to talk about it. I don't either. Uh, that the aged men be sober, uh, grave. Not that they be in the grave, but they be grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise. We don't have any aged women here. All you ladies are too young to be this. But the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men... Likewise, I think that young men, that's probably 47, somewhere in that range. Uh, young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In verse 7, our text verse, will you look at it very closely with me? In all things. Well, that's a very broad scope. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. I want to talk to you this morning about a pattern, a pattern of good works. Let's pray together. Lord, what a powerful passage we read together this morning. Lord, so much teaching here for the local church. Lord, for all of us, in every place we are, Lord, we see wonderful teaching and doctrine and truth here in this passage. And Lord, as we focus this morning on this last verse and the text we read together, Lord, I pray you would help us to be a pattern, a pattern of good works. Lord, I thank you for coming and being our example. I thank you for coming, becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. 
I thank you for being perfect and holy without sin. I thank you for showing us how to live and how to die. I thank you for your word that tells us of the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ, of the death, the burial, and resurrection. Lord, the only answer for my sinful condition, the only way that I can be born again, the only way that I can enter heaven. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at this thought of a pattern of good works, that Lord, we would be like you. Pray you'd help us today. Lord, I pray if there be one here this morning that knows you not a Savior, Lord, I pray today that they would realize your love. I pray that they would see their condition before a holy God, that they would see that you offer to them eternal life and they would trust you today. They would believe today. Lord, I pray for Christians here this morning that are struggling. I pray for those that are going through some difficulties in their spiritual walk. I pray for those that are struggling maybe in some relationships. Lord, those that are having some battles, Lord, in the mind. Lord, I pray that we would get victory today. Lord, I pray you'd help. Lord, I pray we'd be rededicated, recommitted, surrendered to you. Lord, would you have the preeminence in our mind, in our heart, Lord, in this message. I pray that we could lift up Christ, Lord, that you would draw all men to yourself. Lord, may that be the case. God, help me. God, I need your help this morning to preach you right your truth. God, would you use your word powerfully today. In your precious and holy name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was a young man, I had the privilege of spending all my summers growing up not relaxing, not uh, uh, vacationing. Uh, most of you, you know, when summertime came, you know, you slept into the crack of noon. How many of you remember doing that? You wake up and get you a bowl of, a bowl of cereal. Uh, some of you guys got a mixing bowl and a whole box of cereal. And you plop yourself down in front of the cartoons and uh, in front of the television. And that was your summer. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was eight years old that summer from school, I didn't get to sleep into the crack of noon. I didn't get my Jethro Bodine bowl of cereal I didn't get to watch cartoons all day. Uh, I got the privilege of working with my dad. And I started that summer when I was eight, every summer. Uh, I spent 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I know that's child labor, Brother Ahmad. I should have, my dad should be arrested. I'm going to call the police on him. Uh, but I, I worked with him. And my dad did construction and remodeling and renovations and concrete work and stonework and roofing and you name it, he did it. And I got the privilege every summer to do so. My dad was a school teacher. In the summer, he ran the business. And from the time I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way up till I was 16, 17 years old. Now, I remember, and I can't remember how old I was, but I remember helping my dad as we were making a deck. And I think it was the first deck that I had helped him with. And I was, I might have been 10 or 11 years old. And we built the deck, and then my dad was building a handrail, and, and we didn't buy the ready-made spindles. Uh, rather, we fabricated the slats for the handrail uh, around the outside of the deck and the handrail. And I remember, not the exact year, I could see the deck. I, I think I could even drive to it today. 
And I remember my dad taking and measuring and setting up the saw and uh, cutting and creating that first rail and deciding what he wanted. And I remember him taking his pencil out from behind his ear. He wore a baseball cap when he worked and stuck a pencil in there. And I remember him pulling his pencil out and writing on the side of that slat, P-A-T. And he said to me, Brian, this is the pattern. Except he called it Pat. He said, we're going to make... Uh, we're going to make every one of these boards just like Pat. And he gave me that pattern, and I marked with that board on the next board, and then my dad cut it, and I took that same board, the pattern, not the new one that was cut, but the same pattern to the next board, and I marked that board, and every one we marked with the pattern. Now, there's a reason why we didn't take and, and mark one and cut the new one and take the new one and mark it because had we done that, eventually they would have gradually gotten bigger or smaller depending on how they were cut. But because we marked every one of them with the same pattern, it was all exactly the same. When all of them were done, we measured and that deck all around every four inches or whatever it was, we had those slats that we installed all around that deck and they were all the same. Now, why were they the same? Because they were all marked with the same pattern. They were marked with the same pattern. Christian, our pattern is Jesus Christ. Your pattern is not your pastor, praise God. Uh, your pattern is not your husband, not your wife, not your parents, not any person. Our pattern is Jesus Christ. He's the perfect pattern. But, Christian, may I say the Bible is plain that he wants you as well to be a pattern to those around you. Now, I said that Jesus is our pattern, not our pastor, not our spouse, but hold on a minute. Husbands, wives, parents, young people, your life is a pattern to someone. It's been said that your life is the only Bible that some people will ever read. Now, my salvation is based by grace through faith. It has zero to do with works. Zero. Not even a little tiny bit. Did you know that rat poison? I know we don't have rats in Alberta, except, you know, in the legislature building. But we, <laughs> did I say that out loud? Uh, I thought it was my inside voice. Uh, um, Mouse poison, I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, you take mouse poison, rat poison, warfarin, whatever you want to call it. Did you know if you look at the ingredients on in the box of rat poison or mouse poison? Now, don't be dropping off rat poison at the legislature grounds. You're going to get me in trouble. But if you look at the ingredients, did you know that most, and I mean by a large percentage, but Eric, most of the stuff in there is good for you. I mean, you could go and eat some this afternoon if you want. If Miss Cheryl doesn't feed you lunch, just go grab some warfarin, uh, some rat poison down here on 118th. There's a place you can buy it. Most of the ingredients in rat poison is perfectly fine. I'm not sure it's delicious, but it's harmless. It's just that little bit that gives you a real problem. It's that little bit that causes uh, death to the rat and to you. Can I tell you that we are not 100% perfect like the Lord Jesus Christ? We have 
that percentage of God still working on us. But we are to be an example in good works. Understand this morning that example is not to earn salvation. It is not to prove ourselves worthy. It is not to keep ourselves in the love of God. It is none of those things. Rather, God wants to raise up holiness, righteousness, and godliness as a pattern in the world. Jesus is your pattern. But we as believers are to be a pattern of good works. I want to share just a couple of thoughts with you this morning. Uh, before I do, I want to share an illustration with you about heart. A renowned physician who held an honored position at Mayo Clinic in the U.S., a very prestigious place, a very helpful place, was asked once what had inspired him to become a physician. What had inspired him to follow the path to become a surgeon. And he said this, It was the deep and lasting impression made upon my heart when as a boy I observed our family doctor ministering to my young brother who was desperately ill. He said, I noted that although the doctor had unusual skill, and no doubt he had a high learning and high education, he didn't let his many degrees in medicine interfere with his warm, friendly demeanor. He was dedicated to his patients first and foremost. He said it was his heart, not his education and skill that captured me as a young boy. The good judgment he displayed in saving my brother's life, he said, and the confidence he, he generated by his tactful, loving qualities impelled me to follow his example. Christian, would to God this morning that we could impel others to follow Jesus Christ. It was said by Mr. Mahatma Gandhi, a sad statement. He said, I would be a Christian were it not for Christians. May we be the kind of examples that would not push folks away from Jesus Christ, but the kind of examples that would impel Folks, to follow us as we follow him. Just a couple of thoughts, very simple thoughts this morning. Turn to Proverbs 18 with me. And not, I'm not going to be sharing some outrageous or new thoughts today. Rather, I want to share some very basic, very fundamental things about a pattern of good works. Number one, be friendly. So, Pastor, what, what's the big deal? Why, why do we need to talk about being friendly? Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Christian, what does your lost friends and lost neighbors and lost coworkers think about you? Do they say, oh, he's, he's friendly? What's the lost world see? 
Can I tell you, Christ was a never-failing friend. And he was perfect. There was nobody on his level. And yet he was a friend to the friendless. He was one that sticketh closer than a brother. Let me encourage you as we go through this time called life, as we interact with other people, as we meet folks from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, different belief systems, different experiences, different cultures. I mean, we have a constant as a pattern of good works. May we be friendly. There was a day in our culture not many years ago where this wasn't a needful point in a message. But I'm afraid we've gotten to the point where we have felt ourselves above the world. And we've lost the importance of showing ourselves friendly to a lost world. May we never lose that, church. May we show forth ourselves friendly. We need to be like Christ, friendly, cordial, hospitable, warm-hearted. If we're to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, can I tell you that we need to love them honestly with friendliness. I enjoy fishing. Now, I enjoy catching fish. I enjoy eating fish. I may enjoy eating fish more than I enjoy catching fish. How many of you are there with me? I, I, I just remembered. The Lord just brought it to my mind. I have sauger in my freezer. Hallelujah. I'm going to eat some fish soon. But you know what? I, I really enjoy fishing. I enjoy the challenge of tricking a fish into taking my bait. Now, I grew up fishing for catfish when I was a boy. A catfish, you know, they're kind of stupid. They're delicious, but they are stupid. You take something that stinks, take an old worm, piece of liver, some, it doesn't really matter. Uh, some of Pastor Rice's cooking, anything that stinks. Uh, you put that on a hook, you cast it out in the river where I'm from, and you leave it down there long enough, an old catfish is going to go, that smells pretty good, I'll eat that. It doesn't take a lot of skill. You just got to, as long as the catfish comes near, he's probably going to take it. If it stinks, he'll eat it. But there are some fish that are a little more picky than the catfish. And you've got to trick them. You've got to convince them that they want that lure that you've got. And I'm a little weird. Some of the fellows that fish with me will tell you, will tell you that. I talk to the fish. Any of you talk to the fish besides me? When I cast the lure and I, I'll feel that little bit of a strike and I'll, uh, I was out fishing with Pastor Isaac Buchard at Camp Joy that week, and the whole time I'm out there, I'm talking to the fish. I'm like Aquaman, only I've got a man's haircut. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, come on, I know you want it. Come on, come on. Just, I'm talking to him. Man, I'm trying to trick him. Ah, I got him, yeah. I have to slowly convince him. Now, God says he wants to make us fishers of men. Now, we are not tricking men to Christ. I'm not casting out something that's fake like I do when I'm fishing for a walleye and trying to bounce that jig and make that walleye think, oh, there's a delicious meal. 
I'm casting something fake. I'm trying to trick the walleye. That's not what it means to fish for men. We're not casting out a fake. We are pointing people to that which is real. The only thing that's real was Jesus Christ. And we need to be a pattern of good works as we do so, as we love folks, as we are friendly. There's a book by Henry Durbinville written. The author underscored the importance of friends as a means of overcoming the dreaded enemy of loneliness. And he included the following quotes that are worthy of repeating. Ralph Waldo Emerson, some of you may know the name, said, A friend may well be reckoned the masterpiece of nature. A small boy defined a friend as someone who knows all about you and likes you just the same. I love that definition. An old Arab saying goes like this. A friend is one to whom we may pour out all the contents of our heart, chaff and grain together, knowing that the gentlest of hands will take and sift it. Keep that which is worth keeping and with a breath of kindness blow the rest away. Durbinville himself in that book made the Observation, a friend is the first person to come when the whole world goes out. Can I tell you that the world needs you to be a friend? We need to be a pattern of good works. We need to be a friend of those that need Jesus Christ, who is a friend that sticks the closer than a brother. Number two, not only a friend, a pattern of good works, but also we need to be forgiving. Forgiving. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 32, Forgiving one another as God hath forgiven you. I'm reminded of the man who wrote the book, Son, son of Hamas. The young man whose father was with founding members of Hamas. A young man who he led the Hamas youth movement. A young man who was gloriously saved, born again. The way he happened to get to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the gospel out of not only Islam but radical Islam was that he ended up in a church service. Imagine that. The son of the leader of Hamas in a Christian church service. Uh, man, if you knew that, Brother Maj, you'd be afraid. He was there. The pastor got up and he preached the verse, Love your enemies. He said, as that pastor read that verse and preached on loving your enemies, he said, I thought to myself, the most religious man I know is my father. And he said, I knew my father could not love his enemies. He said, I had seen what my father did to his enemies. He said, I realized that that man had something that my religious father did not have. Can I tell you, it takes forgiveness it was forgiveness by a man that led that man who wrote the book, Son of Hamas, to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We need to be forgiving. Can I tell you that it needs not be said, but I remind you this morning that Jesus Christ is forgiving. 
He remembers our sin no more. Hebrews 10, 17, in their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, we forgive. We say, oh, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm going to remember what you did to me. I forgive you, but I'm never going to, I know what you did. I'm gonna, I don't trust you now. I forgive you, but the Bible says he remembers it no more. We, Christian, as a pattern of good works, we need to forgive others. We need to holding no resentments. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. Matthew 6, verse 14 says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Can I tell you that we must forgive others? But get this point, and they're in our culture today, this is desperately needed. We need to be able to forgive ourselves also. There are many maybe in this room this morning who you have maybe got some victory over forgiving some folks in your life. And you're not perfect, but you're, you're making some progress in forgiveness. But you will not forgive yourself. You constantly live with a haunted memory of something you've done, of some way you feel that you don't belong, of something that you feel like that God is holding over your head. Can I tell you, the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation. None. I was in a restaurant once and I saw a man eating there years ago that was a man who was a very generous man, a very helpful man, a very loving man. And he had a, a reputation that he, every time he ate somewhere, he, he would never let anyone pay his bill. And he wasn't a rich man. And I saw him there and I decided, I went and I, I found his waitress. I said to the waitress, I said, ma'am, I said, would you do me a favor? I said, would you bring me the bill from that table right there? I'm going to pay the bill. I didn't tell the man I did that. He didn't really know me. I got the bill. I went and paid the bill. I sat down and finished my meal, and I watched as the meal was over, and I watched from about this far away as he said, I need my bill. And the waitress said, it's, it's paid. He said, no, 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 no. I didn't know. I, I didn't pay my bill. He looked at the people at the table with him. Did you pay my bill? And they're like, no, we didn't pay anything. And the waitress said, I'm sorry, sir. He said, well, I'm paying the bill. I always pay my way. I'm going to pay the bill. And the waitress said, I'm sorry, sir. You can't pay the bill. It's been cared for. A lot of you as Christians, every day, you go to God saying, God, I'm sorry. I'll pay the bill somehow. There's no bill. There's no bill. Why? Because it was paid. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. He said, but pastor, you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't, you don't know, I, 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 I've done this, and I, God can't use me, and God can't ever forgive that, and maybe I can go to heaven, but, you know, God's upset with me. Christian, there's no bill. It's all paid. As we think about being a pattern of good works, not only should we forgive others, not only do we understand how we're forgiven by Christ, but we need to accept the forgiveness in Jesus Christ and get past, get past 
this matter of feeling as though there is a weight that I cannot remove. There is a guilt that I cannot take off. The Bible says there is none. God has forgiven you. We, as a pattern, are to forgive others. I'll share a quick story. About a year ago, I had someone who had done something that was reprehensible. And they confronted me about it, and they were upset by what had happened, expecting me to retaliate, desiring even me to retaliate. And I remember through tears flowing down my cheeks, I said, I, I forgive you. That wasn't easy. But I saw the result, not just in my life, but in the life of the one forgiven. Can I tell you how powerful forgiveness is as a pattern of good works? I'm not talking about getting to heaven. That's in Jesus Christ alone. I'm not talking about earning salvation. You're not going to earn it. You can't earn it. You can accept it by faith alone. I'm talking about showing forth a pattern to a lost world. We need to be show ourselves friendly. We need to be forgiving. Number three, would you turn to the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 44. This is a tough one here. But I believe it is exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ, our pattern. And I believe we ought to show forth the pattern of Christ as a pattern of good works. Isaiah 44 and verse 8, the Bible says, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Christian, can I tell you a way that we can be a pattern to the lost world? A pattern to reach our generation and our culture and our world? It's by not being fearful. Can I tell you what happens whenever a Christian lives in fear? You are saying, I don't trust the Lord. I don't trust what's going on here. I don't, I don't believe the Lord can take care of this. It's like when you fly on an airplane and those folks that are afraid of flying, and I, I understand the fear. I, I, I have no fear of flying, but I understand, you know, it's a real fear. I get that. I'm not, I'm not belittling folks that are, have that fear. But you watch folks that are fearful in an airplane and they sit there and the airplane goes through just a little bit of turbulence. And they grab the seat by the mic. They hang on as if they're going to hold the plane steady. As if they're grabbing the seat is going to fix it. You know what I do? I have a nap. I'm like, man, the pilot's going to get me down okay. Man, the chances of, of crashing an airplane are much less than the chances of uh, me crashing because I ride with me. I know how bad of a driver I am, Brother Mon. I, I can rest assured I trust, I trust the pilot. Christian, do you trust the pilot? So, but pastor, yeah, but sometimes, you know, there's some things I just don't know about. Do you trust the pilot? 
Yeah, but what if this happens? And what if we go through this? Do you trust him? I don't have to be fearful. I, I don't have to live in fear. And I, I, I say this with my hand on the Bible, and I say it from a heart of love for you. During the midst of the beginning of all the, the COVID announcements and all the things that were going on, when nobody really knew what was going on in the world, I'll be real honest with you. I was never afraid. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that I didn't think that I, there were sick folks and folks were dying. I lost family members to COVID. I, I understand the reality of it. I wasn't afraid. There was never a moment I woke up and I was fearful at all, like not even that much. Not because I have a super health, not because, well, maybe because my brain doesn't work, but... I just believe the Lord. I believe he can take care of me. It is amazing the power of your testimony when the lost world sees you facing difficulty. I think of so many of you that have gone through some heartaches, some heartbreaks, and yet you've pressed forward And your lost friends and family members have said, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. They're not fearful. Christ was never afraid. He was faced with opposition, but he faced it with boldness and courage. His message of salvation came through loud and clear. We too should serve the Lord with courage, with faith. By the way, fear is the opposite of faith. We should always be ready to witness the saving power of Jesus Christ. Now, may I say this, and I don't say it in a, in a bad spirit or a, a heart of anger, but the world is very courageous in their message. You tune in to the world, the pop culture, the movies that are coming out today, social media, and can I tell you, the world has no fear. They want to come and promote their wickedness to your five and six and seven-year-old kids. They want their filth in your home. They want that which is unholy to be thought of as holy and that which is holy to be thought of as unholy. They have no fear. It's a full-on assault in our culture today because the world has no fear of promoting unrighteousness. But what a shame it is, Christian, that we lack the courage the world has. That we lack the courage the world has. Why? Because we're fearful. We're not trusting the pilot. We need to trust him. We need to realize that I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear. I'm reminded of Dr. John R. Rice, no relation to me. Dr. Rice has been in heaven many years. Pastor and evangelist, published the Sword of the Lord for many years. Dr. Rice, as an old man, was walking down the street one day with another man, and a young man walked up and pulled a gun on Dr. Rice and stuck it in his stomach. 
and said to Dr. Rice, I'm going to blow your brains out. He knew medically that every man with the last name of Rice, that's where his brains are, is right there. <laughs> the man that was with Dr. Rice relayed the story. He said, Dr. Rice, he always had a glass of his nose like this. He looked down his, his nose at the young fella, and he said to him, son, you can't scare me with heaven. Was he fearless? No, but he was a man of faith. Christian, are we fearful or do we have faith? May we be a pattern of good works. Say, Pastor, does that mean you're never afraid? We're never, no. But whenever we begin to become afraid, realize I can trust him. I can trust him because he's got my hand. Does that mean the days are never dark? No. But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comforteth me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I don't have to be fearful. I can trust the Lord. Lastly, Romans 12, if you'll turn there with me, and we'll close here with this thought. Romans chapter 12. In verse 11. Number four, may we be fervent. Fervent. Romans 12, 11, not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. How many of you parents have ever said to your child, hey, Junior, Take the trash out. And you've seen. It takes three hours and 42 minutes. Before the trash finally gets outside. They may have obeyed, but they probably didn't obey fervently about it. Now, if you tell that same kid, hey, Junior, come play a new video game. Woo! Hey, Junior, come eat the pizza. Woo! They're fervent about that. Hey, Christian, are we fervent in spirit about serving the Lord? If we're going to be a pattern of good works, our obedience better not be, okay, Lord, if I have to go to church, if I have to do that, I guess if I have to, no, we ought to be fervent about it. Christ was always fervent. You look at the life of Christ recorded in the Gospels, in your Bible, we see he was 
We don't see him discouraged. We don't see him despondent. We don't see him depressed. He taught the great truths of salvation with enthusiasm and zeal. He, he taught and shared always with that fervor. Christian, may we be fervent. We need to be fervent in spirit as we share Christ with others. By the way, we do that in many ways. Yesterday, we went out and gave out invitations to our Thanksgiving Sunday and all of those invitations. I've got one here. has a gospel track on the back telling folks how they can go to heaven. You know, when you give out gospel tracts, you go out and knock on someone's door and tell them about Jesus. That's a wonderful way to to show forth Christ. But as we look, Jesus said that everything we do for someone else, we're doing, sharing Christ with them. You know, it, it doesn't always look like me going to a door and handing a gospel tract to somebody. Sometimes being fervent in ministry looks like sitting down and having a cup of coffee and talking to someone and sharing some love and catching some tears. Sometimes it looks like going to a funeral and saying, I'm here for you. Sometimes it looks like taking some groceries and saying, hey, can I help? Sometimes it looks like, as I get to do many times here, I'm privileged to get to do, I'll look out the door and see someone outside and say, hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? Can I give you something to eat? I'm reminded of Brother Maud telling his testimony of when they got saved. It wasn't an aggressive soul winning ministry at a church that got the gospel of the Tadvir family. I'm all for an aggressive soul winning ministry. Don't get me wrong. But that wasn't what reached that family. It was a church that loved them. It was a church that cared. May we be fervent in every aspect of getting the gospel and reaching folks. May we be a pattern of Christ. May we be fervent, helping, encouraging, sharing Christ. In the United States, and I, I apologize, I know a little more about U.S. military than I do Canadian military, but in the United States, the U.S. Navy has what is known as the mothball navy. There are vessels anchored in various harbors around the United States on both sides of the coast, and they receive regular maintenance. Their exteriors of those ships are repainted periodically. Their hulls are constantly being bombarded by electrical impulses to retard the process of rust and corrosion. The moisture content of the air inside the hull is very strictly regulated. The inner compartments to keep a proper level with giant humidifiers. While these ships can be readied for deployment, and combat on a very short notice, at the present time, 
those ships that are jokingly called the mothball navy are doing nothing. Doing nothing. Just sitting. I believe many Christians could be labeled rightly so as the mothball Christians. Maybe you're being preserved through the ministry of concerned friends or concerned pastor or concerned Sunday school teacher. If you become slack and following the Lord, maybe someone will encourage you and call you and you'll come back and be at church. If you get discouraged and want to give up, somebody comes and Praise the Lord for the local church. Someone comes and encourages and tries to lift you up. But your talents and gifts are not being used. Just setting. Just setting. Snugly harbored. Snugly harbored in a local church. Receiving spiritual help from others. But never giving in return for the service of the Lord. And I want to share one more quick thought as we close. Lastly, if we're going to be a pattern of good works, we have to be faithful. We have to be faithful. The Bible says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. And Jesus was devoted. The Bible says he set his face like a flint. He faithfully pushed on. He was faithful in the death, even the death of the cross. Christian, are we faithful? Are we faithful? I wonder how many of you if you didn't come to church today, I wonder how many of you, your neighbor would come over and knock on your door and say, hey, are you okay? Is family sick? I noticed you all didn't go to church today. Your neighbors are watching. Are we faithful in our home? Are we faithful to our spouses? Are we faithful to our children? Are we faithful to service? Are we faithful to ministry? Jesus was devoted to the task in hand of helping, of healing, of serving. He was faithful unto death. We need to be faithful to the task set before us. Faithful. We're to be patterns. A pattern of good works. A Christian businessman who had learned that trials can accomplish God's gracious purposes remained cheerful. Even though he suffered one catastrophe after another. First, his son was in a serious auto accident. Then his daughter married a man of questionable character. Finally, the lease on his store building was not renewed. But he was not perturbed. He told his friends of his difficulties, that they were signs of God's confidence in him. When asked to explain his positive attitude, although he was facing so many difficulties, he said that while he was in the armed forces, the sergeant always chose him 
for the dangerous missions. He said at first he complained a bit, and he complained not to his sergeant, but he complained to his buddy. And he said, my buddy said to me, he picks you because he trusts you. He wouldn't stake the lives of our whole outfit on a coward. He said, I realized that the reason that I was buried more than others in my unit in the military was that I had been given great trust. Christian, may we be faithful when God entrusts us sometimes to suffer. When God entrusts us sometimes to go through difficult times, may we be a pattern, a pattern of faithfulness. By the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I tell you that there is a perfect pattern. This pastor is not perfect. No one sitting in this room is perfect. But there is one who is perfect, is the Lord Jesus Christ. God left heaven and came to this earth and lived 33 and a half years as a man. He never sinned. We never had a bad thought. He was perfect. He was holy. And yet he was murdered, crucified. He shed his blood on a cruel cross. He died. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again. Why? Why would God do that? For God so loved the world. He gave he gave himself for you. He died for you. He rose for you. Whosoever, the Bible says, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you receive him today? Would you believe him today? Christian, would you make a commitment this morning that you're going to be a pattern of good works for others? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to be encouraged in your word. Lord, we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about the way we should be a pattern as we think of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning, I pray, as we examine these thoughts and these simple truths, you'd help us to make a commitment. Lord, I pray first of all for anyone here that knows you're not a Savior. Lord, if there is even one in this place who would say, Pastor Rice, I don't know that I'm ready to stand before God. I don't know if I died this very moment, if I'd be in heaven or if I'd be in hell. I'm not sure, but I'd like to know. Lord, I pray if there's one person like that today, I pray that as soon as the music begins in just a moment, that they'd leave their seat and come. Let me have someone sit down and share with them how they can believe and receive Christ today. Get it settled today. Lord, I pray for Christians. Lord, I pray you'd help us immediately during this invitation, Lord, to make some decisions about how we can be a better example in good works. Lord, that we might reach our world. We might reach our friends, our family, our coworkers with the gospel. That we might show forth the love of Christ. That we might be like Jesus. God, may that be the case. God, would you work in hearts. May your will be done. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us as Brother Royce comes and lead us in a song of invitation. The altar's open this morning.
And let's stand together and turn to number 212, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us, hymn number 212. And we'll sing verses 1 and 3. Shepherd, lead us much beneath thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures, feed us for our use, thy fools prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us. Number three, thou hast promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. pray. Lord, thank you for this good day. Thank you for this fellowship of thy people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful songs that we could sing, the praises we could offer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for our young folks to learn and to grow. I thank you for Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, the love that we can share. My Lord, as we would leave this place being a better pattern, Lord, not just for the lost world, Lord, that we might pattern Christ for others. We might encourage one another. We might sharpen one another. We might uplift one another. We might edify one another. God, may that be the case. Lord, may your will be done. In your precious name we pray. Amen.